Love and Other Historical Accidents by Pacific Rimbaud. Chapter 7 Would you like the yellow or the green, Miss Granger? Margaret McClure held up two dresses, one in sage trimmed with coral pink ribbon and the other daffodil yellow with white embroidery at the edges. Manny wasn't in the least bit bothered either way. Whichever you think is best, Miss Margaret. I was terribly sorry to hear about your brother. Margaret folded the yellow dress back down into the trunk she'd arrived with that morning. I was shocked as anything to hear when Mr Griggs told me. Why, these young men must go roaring around on their brooms, I'll never understand. Hermione lifted her arms as Margaret pulled the green dress down over her head. Nor shall I. Will you sit with him today? Margaret asked. He has far better nurse than Miss Cressida. Hermione turned a press of Margaret's fingers and lifted her hair out of the path of the buttons at the back of the dress. I'm only in the way when I'm there. The night before, lulled by the steady fade and glow of the monitoring spells over Draco's head, Hermione had fallen asleep beside him in his bed. She slept fitfully and woke in full the first hint of light leaking around the edges of the heavy curtains. After slipping from his bed, she tucked herself into the chaise and dozed until Cressida, already dressed, knocked softly and peered around the door. Hila Bartholomew flew from London shortly after, and Hermione watched them remove the bandages from Draco's head to survey the progress of his visible wounds. Oh, Merlin! Hermione muttered. Cressida looked up from where her fingers methodically searched the paling purple lines and cuts and tears many themselves across the crown of his head. What is it, Miss Granger? Money gestured at the scant quarter inch of white blonde fuzz covering Draco's scalp. You've shaved him? Yes, said Cressida. We needed to access his wounds. Of course, Hermione frowned. It's only that he's rather proud of his hair. Naturally. Cressida resumed her inspection. She'd placed a small earthware pot on the tray beside the bed. It contained an oily salve that smelled resinous and acidic, like pine and lemon peel. She dipped the pad of her finger into it and began applying it to the lines of his scars. These superficial wounds are healing quickly. I applied a growth serum to his hair last night before we did our last round of bandages, and I'll do so again today. It will be back within days. She looked at Hermione. He'll hardly notice it was missing when he wakes. If he wakes, Hermione anxiously offered. I assure you, your brother will be in full plumage soon enough, Miss Granger. Hila Bartholomew looked up from a parchment and pointed his quill at the monitoring spells over Draco's head. As I told Miss Cresta, I find his signs highly encouraging, as she has agreed to assist me with a novel spell this afternoon that may provide us with additional information. Dipping her fingers into the salve pot again, Cressida's lips lifted at the corners in well-earned pride. Moments later, an elf entered and alerted Hermione to Margaret's arrival. No cosmetic spells today, please, Miss Margaret, Hermione asked, and yet she made her way downstairs looking plump, and pulchy churdinous as a wood nymph with coral cheeks to match the ribbon trimming her dress and a halo of shining dark brown curls. Her visible flesh in the pale and rosy complexion of a prize piglet scrubbed up for the county fair. Disinterested in the Longbottom girls' ongoing, frivolous chatter about the approaching ball, she left the sitting room and moved through the rest of the morning in self-chosen solitude. For a full hour she curled in a chair in the library then took a slow walk around the grounds. 
In the ornamental garden, she pressed her nose into luscious sprays of buttery yellow roses and breathed in their scent, heavy with violet and lemon. She spied a grove of fruit trees situated past the kitchen vegetable beds and decided she'd strike out after it following the afternoon meal. For a while, she sat again, every bit as needlessly as before, in the corner of Draco's sick room. Hela Bartholomew had left, and Cressida and Hela Fredrickson stood with their heads together over Draco, who remained prone and silent, discussing his graphs and the opinion of Bartholomew and his colleagues at St Mungo's. And while his attention flitted without ever landing between their talk and a sack of books she'd liberated from the library. At last, in desperate need of motion and industry, she walked to Twiggybook Cottage alone. Bugbuntly Hall's sun beat lawns flushed with midsummer heat. Passing into the shaded woods below, the air grew cooler. Sunlight filtered through the tree canopy, setting each leaf aglow in varied greens and yellows. A lilac grew to monstrous proportions beside the brook, and as she approached the glen, her breeze sifted through its branches and infused the air with its scent. She found Grix and Martin sitting in a sunbeam near the brook, chattering away. He's a crow! I've seen him! Martin adjusted the arm of his spectacles over his ear. Hopping out in the birch, bold as anything, naked thievery, I tell you! You do not tell me. You keep telling me. Grix leaned against the back of a wooden bench, its green paint chipped throughout the past layers of cornflower blue and mustard yellow, and twirled an enormous oak leaf between his fingers. If you'd eat your strawberries and your own self, it wouldn't happen. Upon seeing Hermione coming along the path, Martin broke into a smile. Miss Granger, he called out. Hermione, my gel. Hermione approached, clutching the yellow leather-bound copy of Entheogenetic Potionary in the Alchemy of the Mind she had brought to the hall the day before. Good morning, cousin, and Mr. Griggs. Oh, it's poor cousin Malfo. Draco patted his own head. Still broken. Draco, Martin, said Grix, twirling his leaf. What a scholar you are. Here, put on your Oxford cap. He reached us at the leaf atop Martin's head. He's still asleep, said Hermione. This morning, Hilda Bartholomew suggested he'd be more active. Very likely dreaming, which he took to be an encouraging sign. Martin fixed Grix with an intent look and pointed it to Miney. Give her the potion. Keep your hat on. Grix hopped from the bench and beckoned to Miney with a wave. Come on, Martin's got another round of potions he's cooked up. One of them's purple and smells of cherries. I suspect he's added sugar. Inside the cottage, Grix lined vials along the table. Three filled with the peach-coloured potion Hermione administered to Draco the night before, and again that morning, and another four containing a thick, sticky-looking potion in garish, greasy violet. Martin guided his chair to the table's edge. From his blanket folds, he drew a diminutive cork-glass globe, holding no more than a few inky blue drops. Five drops. Martin placed the twilight potion beside the others. Under the tongue, once he wakes. That better not be the one that made the parrot of Antony and Thomas Aquinas sermons at Lent in 1273, grumbled Grix. It certainly looks like it. Martin closed his great round eyes in noble equanimity. For the memory. The memory of Thomas Aquinas, I don't wonder. 
Crooks crossed into the kitchen. This is for you, Hermione. He fetched a woven basket from the counter beside the sink. It was lined with a cloth serviette, which Griggs folded over a small court-glass bottle, a paper-racked square packet, and a selection of fruit. Blackberry cordial and a nice bit of cake. He set it on the table, then wrapped the potion vials in the cloth and tucked them inside. Hermione held out the book with the yellow leather cover. I wonder whether it would be all right for me to make a copy of this for Roland Weasley. Martin lifted his chin and regarded the book. He was silent for a motion, then erupted. Visions! Yes, Hermione agreed. Mr Weasley asked about it, and I told him I'd inquire about the possibility of making him a copy for his own. Martin nodded and smiled. Do what you like. Grix watched with circumcension as Hermione laid the book on the kitchen table. She drew her wand and intoned, Apograph, Acrodus, while executing a series of precise wand gestures, every hand hovering over the book. The volume took on quality of three-dimensional picture, seen without polarised glasses. It appeared to split into two, overlapping and barely offset copies, one sitting above another and slightly beside itself, before resolving into two identical volumes, squarely stacked. Martin clasped his hands. Clever cousin! Grix grabbed the copy and flipped to several targeted pages, which he sharply scrutinised before handing the book back to Hermione. That's quite well done. You've got a talent for it. Thank you. Hermione slipped both copies into the basket with the potion vials. She pressed her hand over her bosom with the time-turner lurked in its leather bag. Do you know, she began tenuously, of a meta-ologist at Oxford, by any chance, someone who does magically infused casting, for instance. Without warning, and to Hermione's enormous shock, Martin went red in the face, and his eyes widened to alarming dimensions. Fucking! Hermione stared. Pardon? Fucking! Martin turned an elegant shade of Bordeaux, and his ears appeared to vibrate. Jan! Hermione watched him with awe. Jan? That's got fifty years ago now. Simmer yourself down. Griggs patted on Martin's arm and looked at Hermione with an eye roll. Jan fucking is Noxford Dawn, of Dutch extraction, I understand. Works with magic penknives and monocles that show you what's going on in your own drawing room while you're away at a theatre and so forth. A bit ungenerous with its evaluations of other people's work. Parvenu, shouted Martin. Young brute, he called me a liar. He never called you a liar. He said you'd exaggerated. Grix fiddled with the fabric folded over Hermione's treat basket. I don't exaggerate, said Martin, frowning and crossing his arms. Of course not. But fucking is half your intellect and twice the clout. It's the way it goes. Fancy filigreed footwear, groused Martin. Fop. Grix shuffled to the cooker, took a dark brown, fibrous-looking muffin from a pan on a countertop and handed it to Martin. Forget the boots, old man. That one was a battle you were never meant to win. Martin's left eye twitched as he bit into the muffin and ground away mercilessly with his jaws. Grix paused while laying the cloth over the muffin pan. What do you need a metallurgist for, anyway? A pocket watch sprung a cog on you. I could take a look. Elf magic goes rather a long way. Hermione flushed in the same. Not for the first time, she felt the entirety of her and Draco's story pressing at the backs of her teeth, and had to swallow it down before she spoke. It's nothing. I was only curious, really. 
a passing interest in sextants. Grace's eyebrows attempted to meet in the middle. I see. Well, the money hoisted her basket and juggled it carefully so that the corked bottle and Draco's potion remained secure. I to go back to the hall. When should I administer the new potions? Martin swallowed his muffin. Knock the healer's back and pour it in. Retrograde incompetence. I told you that you'd be in a right foul mood if you skipped your mid-morning bite, Grick said to Martin. You can't let the crow get all your strawberries any more. Eat your muffin. To Hermione, he said, Sneak the purple one in at lunchtime, half the bottle down the side of the cheek if he's not awake, and the peach one just after. Martin says three doses per day of that one is ideal. There are two doses per bottle. Give the memory potion only on waking. You'll need to make sure he's reasonably coherent, or at least as coherent as he usually is. I can't promise he won't come over literal, though. He shan't! Martin patted his own knees and his eyes sparkled. It's for if he can't remember he's A from his Z. You can't remember your A from your Z half the time, said Grix. I ought to give that one with your oats. Martin closed his eyes and leaned back. Tastes of cabbage. Parting ways at the gate, Hermione thanked them both and watched them tootle back to the brookside bench with a muffin-filled basket and a bottle of spring water. The walk back to the hall was brief. She approached and suddenly she couldn't bear the thought of spreading another period sitting like an obtrusive ornament in the sick room. Instead of entering the house through the back, she recalled the distant orchard and skirted the garden's edge towards the west of the grounds. There, the white gravel formal walk was giving way to the tidy, amiable paths of the kitchen garden. The air was scented with piquant balm, sweet, sun-warm soil, and the mint and thyme tumbling righteously across the flagstones. Honeybees rustled inside the fluted orchard petals of cucumber flowers. Their legs weighted with pollen. Between a strawberry bed and a beetroot patch, a dense honeysuckle sprang, clung to the wooden arch, a hummingbird hawk moth dipping and rising around the blooms. As Hermione passed the pea trellis, she twisted a pod from its stem, broke it open and thrust the sweet seeds between her teeth while she wandered past the garden's western edge. She meandered beyond the lavender border, then followed a narrow track through the knee-high fields of daisies and nutweed, buttercups and lupine, clusters of pink and white hollyhocks and bright poppies whose seeds must have been scattered there by hand. Down an incline, past a pair of unkempt dwarf trees, bowing under branches of glossy burgundy cherries, she discovered a bowl of earth measuring about one half an acre. Rows of blueberry bushes spread out ahead of her, their branches loaded with ripe fruit. Hermione's boots squelched in the heavy earth, wet and bare, excepting uneven patches of straggling grass at the bases of the bushes. She set her basket down and inched her way along the first row, plucking handfuls of berries and listening to the blackbird's heated debate in the neighbouring orchard. The time-turner pressed against her sternum. She decided the previous night, in the dark beside Draco's insensate form, that she would go into Oxford or London alone and seek out a metallurgist. She get help to repair the time-turner and then... After that she wasn't sure. Hermione had no idea whether time travel of any kind was safe with an injury as severe as Draco's but her impulse was to bring them both back as quickly as possible, where perhaps he could be better helped to recover. But the question of the snuff-box remained. Lost in thought, she startled at the sound of a cleared throat. 
Good morning. Roland Weasley emerged from the wildflower meadow and stood at the top of the row. Or has it gone afternoon already? Still morning, I believe. She regarded her hand, cupping two dozen blueberries the size of corpulent bumblebees grappling with the lupine in the meadows. You've come for a visit. I've come to check on the patient, he regarded her, and his sister. Would you like to be alone? She shook her head. No. Since Draco's accident, she felt that no matter how many other people were near, and no matter how sincere their attention to her, her solitude was consummate and insurmountable. But where the Longbottom girls and their enthusiasm for silk slippers and scotch reels made her feel apart, Roland's proximity was comforting. Without speaking, he pulled his way through the row towards her, dropping half the berries into his cupped palm and half into his mouth, until he stood beside her. For a long while they said nothing, only twisted dusky berries from their stems, dropped them in his hands, and ate while the sun climbed in the clouds. "'You can do this much faster with the wand,' he said at last. "'But I suspect speed isn't your objective.' "'No, it isn't. Although,' she exclaimed, an especially stout specimen, "'I've had a thought. I'm anxious to hear it.' I'm going to make a pie. A pie? Yes, I make remarkable pie. Life-altering, I've been told. Indeed. And then I suppose I ought to pick faster if I want to have my life altered by a Miss Granger. Roland brought out his wand. Only by hand. Hermione gestured towards him with her palm out. That part's important. But she needn't have cautioned him. Before she finished speaking, he'd conjured a shallow, finely woven basket and hung it over his elbow. I'll carry. He worked beside her silently, and before long the bottom of the basket was covered from view. Is that your pie? Harry sniffed the air. Hermione didn't look up from her parchment. No, I believe that's roast chicken. A smith over in death has a very domestic girlfriend that packs him an elaborate hot lunch every day. Good. It would have been nasty if that had been the pie. Harry leaned towards the woven cylindrical basket with a wooden lid and long leather handle sitting on Hermione's desk and sniffed again. Did you pick the berries yourself? He was younger then, lean and less imposing on his black aura uniform than he would only a few years later be, and still only flirting with the idea of wearing a beard. I did, Hermione answered. Don't touch it. I'm not touching it. You're thinking about touching it. She slid the top sheet of parchment from the stack in front of her, and blew on the ink and set it aside. Don't. Don't think about it? How will you know if I do? I'll know. And what's terrifying is that even without legitimacy, that's probably true. Harry reached for the lid of the basket, and while he slapped his hand away with the end of her quill. Leave it! Must you sit on my desk every time you come down here? Sitting on Ron's is getting old. Harry hopped down off the corner. What time is the move on Saturday? I assume you've got it all plotted out to the last soup spoon. But Jin said we're supposed to help out. I'm moving heavy things. We're wizards, Hermione. I'm moving the things that would be heavy without the aid of magic at ten o'clock. I'm moving, not we're moving. Yes, I'm moving. It's my flat. I've signed the tenancy agreement and bought all the furniture. Ron's only staying in it until he finds a suitable place of his own. She tapped the folded property advertisements from the Daily Prophet, sitting on top of her pile of actionable papers. 
The selection is quite thin at present in his budget range, but he mentions something about nearly walking in on his sister in flagrant delatio in the kitchen at Grimmel Place. I've taken pity on him. Harry's cheeks coloured. Does Ron know he's not really moving in? Hermione rolled her eyes. Obviously. God, do you do that to this one? Harry jerked his head towards the empty desk on the other side of the room. I bet you do. Do it when he gets here. I want to see. I believe Molly's bringing lunch around just after, Hermione said, ignoring him. Around noon. You're right. That definitely doesn't sound like Ron's moving in for real. Harry walked with his hands jammed in his pockets to the empty work table in the centre of the room and leaned against it. How's it going with Malfoy anyway? Are you regretting that hiring decision yet? Hermione finished filling out the third page of a budget request form and moved to the fourth. It wasn't my hiring decision. You've only just turned 20 and they gave you an entire department. A comprehensively ravaged department with no remaining records and no functioning equipment that nobody else wanted. But we have been generously given... She counts off her fingers. Parchment we have to ration out like it's edged real gold leaf. Chipped desks infused with a tumbling smell of turpentine and chairs that squeak no matter how many spells we apply to prevent them from doing so. The power is intoxicating. They did let you hire whoever you wanted. He scratched at the day-old stubble under his chin. Malfoy's the one you actively chose. His newts were unmatched besides my own. Then you weren't at school with us when we went back last year. Harry pushed off the table and inched towards Hermione's desk again. Jin said he was like a ghost. She hardly knew he was there. He was... it was... Hermione bit back the word sad. The point is, I believe his contrition is entirely genuine. He's changed. We all have. I should imagine so. Kingsley said you really state your reputation advocating for him. Vouching for him not using time turners for genocidal purposes and so forth. There's a bit of a gap between being brought up with odious attitudes about blood purity and actively wanting to murder people. If the number of Slytherins who testified against their own parents post-war gives us anything to go on. Anyway, we don't have time turners. Harry picked up an assembly drawing off the end of the work table held it up and pointed it to the neat block print in the upper right corner. It read, Time Turner. We don't have them yet, said Hermione. Just then, the lock on the door to the laboratory beeped and Draco walked in. He wore his daily uniform of a neat black suit with a button-up shirt and dark tie. His hair tidily combed, but longer at the top and looser than he wore it at school. He carried a satchel over his shoulder and a coat draped over his arm. He paused in the doorway and looked between Hermione and Harry, as though he were deliberating whether to pull his wand out of his pocket to prepare for a duel, or turn around and go running towards the lifts. "'Good morning, Malfoy,' said Hermione. Draco's shoulders relaxed marginally. He crossed the room and tossed his coat over the back of his chair and his satchel down on his desk. "'Good morning, Granger.' His eyes remained trained on Harry. "'Potter.' "'Malfoy?' Draco sniffed the air. Has Jemison Smith with the roast chicken again? I believe so, said Hermione. Harry watched Draco settle into his workday, then turned his attention back to the pie carrier. He tucked a fingertip under the lid and began to lift it. I said, don't touch my pie. Hermione swivelled her chair towards him. Harry leaned in close to the carrier and drew in a deep breath. Smelling is not touching. Get out of my lab. "'Your lab?' said Harry. 
Do you hear that, Malfoy? Draco didn't respond. He sat down in his chair, pulled open a drawer, drew out a roll of blueprint and spread it open on the desk. Harry shrugged. Are you coming, Malfoy? Coming to what? Draco didn't bother looking up. The pie contest. At that, Draco lifted his head from his parchment. He stared back at Harry from his seat as though he'd started shouting at him in Welsh. The what? The pie contest, said Hermione. The pie contest. Draco narrowed his eyes. Yes, said Harry. It's a contest to see who can pie contest the most. Hermione levelled a glare at him. Why are you still in my lap? Has crime ebbed so substantially that your office no longer requires your services? Sadly, no. I'll see you at... Harry looked between Drake and Hermione and waited. The pie contest. Out. Immediately. Or Ron stays and your ability to commit sexual misdeeds on food preparation and eating services in your own home narrows substantially. At that, Harry hustled to the door. Once it had clicked behind him, the room was silent except for the scratching of Draco and Hermione's quills. After a quarter of an hour, Draco's chair squealed as he leaned back in it. He cleared his throat. Yes, Malfoy. Hermione kept her eyes on her writing. A pie contest. I believe we've firmly established that's what it is. And you want me to come to it? Hermione's hands stopped moving. She set down her quill and turned around to look at him. He was pale as always, and deathly serious, but something in his expression made her feel a bit soft and runny inside, like pie-filling. I would like you to, yes. She folded her hands in her lap and hoped she looked as sincere as she felt. Very much. He looked at the squat basket on Hermione's desk. What is that? It's a pie-carrier. A pie-carrier, Draco repeated. And there's pie in it? Yes. That you've made? I have made it, yes, said Hermione. What sort? Blueberry. I picked them in August and put them under a freezing charm. He crossed his arms over his chest and furrowed his brow. And this pie, he pointed at the basket, will be competing against other pies. It will. It's a fundraiser, first and foremost, but we've also put it together as a kind of interdepartmental team-building Boost the spirits event. Draco's eyes grew tense with revulsion, and he leaned back farther in his chair. It's all in good fun, said Hermione. Rather like... Baking Quidditch. The corner of Draco's mouth twitched. In the ten months Hermione spent at Hogwarts with Draco making up their ruined seventh year, she had never once seen him smile. And in their three months working together in the Department of Mysteries, he'd smiled once, perhaps twice, and only ever when she thought he wasn't looking. Baking Quidditch, he repeated. I don't think it's rather more interesting than actual Quidditch, but yes, I know you like sweets, and I don't like sweets. He pushed himself away from her, his chair scraping against the marble floor. Hermione glanced at the drawer in his desk he kept stocked full with foil-wrapped chocolates. All right, but it's only a galleon, and you get a sample of every pie entered... I'm sure there'll be chocolate cream every pie. His chair protested as he shifted his weight forward again. That's right. And I judge them. You vote, yes. He steeled his fingertips under the chin as he considered, Do I have to vote for yours? Only if you want to. I'd want you to be honest, of course. But we're... He gestured between the two of them, 
co-workers, I feel that I would be obliged to vote for you. You would influence my decision. We're all adults here. Just be honest. You like the pie you like. No one's going to hold it against you. Certainly not me. He looked over at her, direct and earnest and wary all at once. It's only pie. Yes, Malfoy, it's only pie. Do you often make pie when you're in distress, Miss Granger? The money considered. I suppose that I do. And you roll? Not like that. Hermione pulled her hands back as she felt the impulse to grab the rolling pin out of Roland Weasley's hands. That's too hard. The butter's supposed to be suspended in the dough. You're crushing away at it like you're running short on time in a potions final. Why is it so cold? Roland laughed as he flattened the dough with a pin. I can't feel anything in my fingertips anymore. Of course you can. Don't be ridiculous. It's the mildest cooling show imaginable. Here, like this. Hermione pushed her way between Roland and the work table in the kitchen at Bugbuntley Hall and took up the rolling pin. Firm and decisive, but you shouldn't be crushing. Roland, a full head and then some taller than Hermione, placed his hands beside the pool of flour dusting the table and leaned over her shoulder. Not crushing, he said, sounding not entirely serious. I see. Firm. Decisive. Hermione suppressed a laugh. You look absurd in that apron, you know. Roland glanced down at himself. When they'd entered the kitchen with a basket weighed down with berries, he'd removed his jacket and rolled up his sleeves and tied a knee-length apron in striped linen over his trousers and waistcoat. This is one of my better suits and we're rolling here, quite firmly, quite decisively. Hermione picked up a pinch of flour in her fingertips and tossed it behind her. It landed in a spray of white over the midnight blue shoulder of his waistcoat. She bit at her lip to stop the laughter threatening to break loose. You did not, Miss Granger. I'm afraid that I did. I see. You've given me no choice. No choice in what? Hermione pinched her eyes shut as Roland, fingertip dipped in flour, swiped over the tip of her nose and then her chin. Firmly. Decisively. You absolute! She began. Roland leaned forward and spoke in a low voice. I'm afraid if you engage in this conflict any further, your butter is going to warm up, Miss Granger. Hermione wiped at her nose and chin with her wrist, blinking at a curl of hair falling into her eye. Roland's long, clever, flower-white fingertips pushed it back from her forehead and tucked it over her ear. She rolled the dough. She swallowed. Firmly. Decisively. They made a pair of pies, sticky purple black bubbling out of their insides and onto their gleaming golden brown tops, leaving them to cool on iron trivets on the work table. Roland retired to the drawing room to manage his correspondence, while Hermione made her way upstairs again with a copy of Entheogenetic Potionery tucked under her arm. She was surprised to find William Avery in the hallway outside of Draco's room, speaking in a low voice to Healer Bartholomew. Miss Granger, William said as she approached. I came to see how your brother is getting on. Healer Bartholomew informs me that his progress is encouraging. Is it? Hermione turned to Bartholomew, her stomach churning with anticipation. Have there been any changes? Bartholomew shook his head. Not in awareness, but his vital signs have stabilised to an unexpected degree, 
I've put in place several experimental spells of my own invention that I believe are informative about his internal progress, and remain cautiously optimistic that we can anticipate signs of consciousness. I understand that Cressida's been indispensable. William tucked his hands casually in his pockets, but looked at Bartholomew with an interest he wasn't able to fully conceal. She has. Would you like to come in and speak to her about it yourself, Mr Avery? William shook his head. I've only stopped by to inquire. I've promised my brothers each a game of chess this afternoon, and if I do not follow through, there will be an uproar. Hermione smiled, recollecting Charles and John Avery. The idea of them playing at wizard chess with the long-suffering William beggared the imagination. How are your brothers? Fully recovered, I hope. Incorrigible as always. I believe mothers put all three of the rogues under permanent buoyancy enchantments. Wholly understandable. He rolled his eyes to the side and muttered, All four of us more like. I ought to see if I am still capable of putting my head under the bath. I have baked a pair of pies with Mr Weasley. When you've made your way to the drawing room, you ought to have a slice with your tea. William lifted an eyebrow. You've made a baker of Rowley, have you? Singular. I won't claim to have made him anything more than a noviet. He does show some admirable ability to mix cinnamon and blueberries in a bowl without tipping too much over the rim. I'll believe it when I see it. I'll head down with you, Mr Avery. Here both suddenly said. I've missed my tea and a slice of pie would be most welcome. Bartholomew led the way down the stairs and William sprang after him, relaxed and aesthetic, in a full of all the life and energy of youth. In the sick room, that same energy seemed to have drained away entirely from Draco. He was pale as the sheets as he slept under. Cressida sat at the desk in a corner of the room. When Hermione entered, she hastily folded the rectangle of parchment she was writing on and tucked the document into her pocket. Good afternoon, Miss Granger. She stood and smoothed her hands over her skirt. Her cheeks were painted with a deep blush. I was only taking some notes on the patient's progress. She glanced at the door with clear anxiety. Hermione's brow wrinkled. Of course. Cressida nodded. An overlong silence stretched out between them, during which Cressida shifted from one foot to the other and seemed to examine the wainscot. She also blinked several times, like she had something stuck in her eye. Hermione had half expected her to lift her chin up, open her eyes and ask Hermione if she could see an eyelash floating across her cornea. She did not expect Cressida to burst into tears and cover her face with both hands. And yet, that's what she did. Hermione stood stock, still by the door, looking around for support from other quarters that did not seem to be forthcoming. Shall I fetch one of your sisters, Miss Cressida? Hermione asked, pointing back over her shoulder. Or your mother? Oh! Cressida cried even harder. And not my mother, please! All right, Hermione considered. Your father, perhaps? At that, Cressida actually fell to the floor, her shoulders heaving. I've done something terrible, Miss Granger. Her voice was ragged and sopping. Hermione considered the possibilities, realising that puzzling over Cressida's potential transgressions with the detachment of a personal computer wasn't what called for in the moment. So she walked to her and knelt on the floor beside her. She reached out and patted the crown of the girl's luminous straw-coloured hair. Don't cry. Hermione said it to be kind, but also because she wanted Cressida to stop. I'm so very sorry, Miss Granger. I don't know what came over me.
Hermione was flummoxed. You're sorry? To me? Cressida lifted her face from her hands, and Hermione was genuinely startled. Her dark brown eyes were downturned in sorrow, and tears streaked her cheeks, but she looked like she'd been professionally made up to conduct tragic weeping behind a Vaseline slick lens in a Golden Age Hollywood film. She was a stunningly beautiful crier. Yes, to you, Cressida said with a prim hiccup. To your brother. With that, she slapped her palms back over her eyes and recommenced with the sobbing. I'm afraid you'll have to explain. Hermione sat back on her heels and waited. By way of an answer, Cressida reached out into her skirt pocket, pulled out the rectangle of paper and thrust it at Hermione. Hermione unfolded it and began to read. There was no date and no name signed to it, either in the place for the recipient or the sender, and only a handful of lines. You will forgive me. You must forgive me, or forgive whoever writes this letter, for I am not myself, in my boldness in declaring unequivocally and without reserve that in all these mere hours of our acquaintance I have learned to love you. The distance that parts us now is so slight that it vanishes and becomes nothing. Know that you have only to overcome the last barrier, to bound this low and unencumbering wall and give me but a word, a glance, and I am yours. Hermione stared at it. She read through it twice, then the third time, and flipped it over to see if it continued, and then last looked up at Cressida, her lovely tear-lined face, and understood. Oh, Merlin Cressida, you can't give this to him. Cressida sobbed noisily. I know! Hermione bit back a thumbnail and considered. I don't mean to malign mouth... Hermione shook her head. Draco, but he's not really suited to you. Not to anyone, as far as I can tell. Hermione hadn't thought it was possible for Cressida's eyes to look any more pathetic, but they managed it. No! Cressida shook her curls. He's far too intelligent and gentlemanlike. Good Lord! Hermione grimaced. He's not gentlemanlike at all. He's smarmy and full of himself and a ridiculous flirt. Everyone's in love with him. It's outrageous. Oh, damn. Cressida had flopped forward and mashed her dewy scarlet face into Hermione's shoulder. Here. Hermione pushed Cressida away as gently as she could manage. Let's destroy this. She nodded at the letter. And no one will ever be the wiser. You just don't write any more declarations. I suppose you have a reputation to consider. I know, I know, Cressida burbled. I don't know what's come over me. Don't worry, it seems to have come over plenty of witches. It's only that he's so particularly brilliant and witty and, oh, Miss Granger, your brother is the most beautiful, Hermione scowled. I suppose, but when you take into account the dietary habits and the general attitude, and so very kind, Hermione snorted. When I arrived at the Averys to help with the little boys, he was... Cressida trailed off and stared into the middle distance as though haunted by a terrible vision. She turned her eyes to Hermione. He was wet. Her voice fell to a whisper. He flipped his hair. No, you have to ignore the hair. His shirt was soaked through, it was clinging to... Cressida sucked in a staccato breath and was unable to finish. Hermione nodded. Please understand that I empathise entirely. I don't know why they insist on getting themselves wet from time to time. It's a problem I have no ready solution to. 
I know it's inexcusable. It's wicked and monstrous. And I did try to avert my eyes while Healer Fredrickson and I dressed him for bed, but his body, Miss Granger, his thighs. Cressida opened her eyes wide. His stop right there, Miss Cressida. We'll speak no more about thighs. Hermione stood and held a hand down to help Cressida up. I can assure you that my brother and whatever parts you've seen of him are not worth another thought. She hauled Cressida to her feet, then clutched the letter to her own plush, dried bottom. You must resist these feelings. Even if he wasn't an unapologetic rake, he probably has some very specific stashed away in that absurd mind of his, whenever he's ready to stop moistening himself and flopping his hair at innocent women. Cressida wound up for another round. No, please no more crying. I only mean that his parents... Money waved her hand. Our parents, his and my parents are the same parents, had quite rigid expectations at one time. Are your and Mr Granger's parents deceased? No, they're... Hermione thought about Australia and Azkaban. They're out of the area at present, but their influence remains, I'm sure. Cressida pulled a handkerchief from her pocket and dabbed at her cheeks. Please, please, Miss Granger, swear to me you won't tell a soul about this. I won't. Here. Hermione pulled her wand from her cleavage. Let's destroy the letter, and neither of us need to breathe another word of it. Just at that moment, the door to the bedroom creaked on its hinges. Merlin! Hermione pulled the book from under her arm and slammed the letter underneath its front cover. Hello, ladies. It was Hila Fredrickson. How is our patient? Cressida hiccuped, and Hermione moved to block Fredrickson's view of her exquisite, desolate, tear-stained face. Do you like pie, Hila Fredrickson? Hermione asked. Naturally, he answered. Is there some to be had? The theme of the rest of the afternoon was tea and slices from Hermione and Roland's pie. It's exquisite, Miss Granger. The sun was making a long-winded and theatrical descent towards the brow of the soft hill to the west of the Bugmontley Hall. On the bench beside her in the garden, Roland's cheek caught the golden and unhurried light. It's the blueberries, said Hermione, scraping a slick of ink-dark filling from the dessert plate with her fork. Not the blueberries. On the lawn below Isadora, Cassandra and Penelope played a game of bowls in the tropiad heat of the afternoon, while Sir Thomas sat on the grass beside his wife, watching his cats cavort out of their charmed feather. Hermione turned away from Roland. Beside the bench, the light flared across the edges of the yellow roses. I believe it's your firm and decisive rolling. There was a laugh behind his words. He paused, his fork clinking against the edge of the porcelain plate. You were entirely correct before. Hermione turned back towards him. In what sense? The sun set his hair, his brow, the upper curve of his lip aglow. It's life-altering. That night, after Cressida left the sick room for her own bed, Hermione slid again into the space beside Draco. She administered the potion she'd been directed to give, then folded her hand into his. You ought to wake up so you can see what a mess you've made. She squeezed his hand hard, and with the fire dying in the grate, she fell asleep. By the time she woke, the front line of the dawn had far advanced, and streaks of pale yellow light cut through the gaps in the curtains. The fire had gone entirely cold in the night, and the room was commensuratedly frigid. 
lying on the outside of the coverlet, Hermione shivered in her thin chemise. She watched Draco's chest move with his breath, slow and steady, his chart settled into a regular, monotonous hum. For all its daytime clamour, the hall slept silently at night. Its earliest risers were Isadora and Sir Thomas, the former quiet and the latter prone to cheerful off-key whistling and thumping on his heels down the hall. Hermione listened, and hearing nothing, she shifted carefully off the bed, lifted the coverlet, and snuggled herself back underneath. Deliberately, cautiously, she shifted closer to Draco and tucked her feet up into his side. He was warm, even though the fabric of his nightshirt, and heated to extreme and comfort under the bedclothes beside him, and Manny's eyes drifted closed again. If she slept, she was unaware of it, but she felt as though she were returning from some place far away when her eyes snapped open, at the sensation of a balmy hand slipping over hers. Draco's head lolled to the side. His eyes were open. They remained half-lidded, Valyrian holding Hermione's face in unstable focus, a hint of the purple and yellow bruising that had bloomed around his eyelids over the course of the first day remained, and the whites of his eyes were tinted with a fading pink of broken blood vessels, but his irises were clear and grey-blue. He breathed in, and then out, a contented sigh, like he'd woken early on a drowsy Sunday, and then said in an insubstantial, sandpaper voice, your feet are freezing. Oh, God! She pulled her feet away from his side. Draco! She tried to gather her thoughts, to determine what to say, what to ask, how to ascertain his state of mind, his degree of awareness, his level of recovery. As her mind cycled through the possibilities, Draco rolled fully onto his side, and draped his arm around her waist and pulled her body flush against his. Hermione's mouth fell open in a gasp of surprise. Before she could say anything, he bent his head down and kissed her. This tastes incredible. Hermione flushed with pleasure. Truly, Granger, what's not to like about this? I don't understand. It's all right, Malfoy. Smith's pie might one fair and square. Gemma's pie, you mean? I don't for a moment buy that git and his blasted roast chickens chopping rhubarb. Draco, sitting cross-legged on his own desk, stabbed his fork into the floral-patterned ceramic pie dish he held balanced between his knees. He drew up a monumental bite of Hermione's blueberry pie and shoved it petulantly into his mouth. Gerald Smith is perfectly capable of making a winning pie, said Hermione. I should say so, he has pie hands. Blazer Beanie, stretched out on his back at the work table in the centre of the lab, raised his hands in the air and wriggled his immaculately kept fingertips. Draco swallowed. Pie hands? You know what I mean, said Blaze. Good for rolling. Are we to have half of Slytherin House in the laboratory while we work? Manny turned in her chair and frowned while Zabini tucked his arm behind his head. Let me know if Pansy's on her way down so I can dress myself to her standards. Draco pointed his fork at her. This attitude from the woman who had Harry Potter in here sniffing her pie just this morning. Blaze rolled over onto his side and lifted up onto his arms. Hold on, what was Potter doing to Granger's pie in here this morning? He was practically buried in it. Draco polished off a third of the last wedge in the pan and forked up to the lion's share of the rest. You'd think it was going out of style. Blaze peered at him. He's not the only one. Have you tasted Granger's pie, Blaze? No, I'm sorry to say that I haven't had the pleasure. Well, you ought to. 
I've tasted quite a few pies, and hers is something very special. I'd let you have a go, but I'm afraid I'm rather attached to it now. Draco licked the lines of the fork. It's life-altering. I imagine it's mostly Wheezy gets to eat Granger's pie. Draco scowled and set down his fork. Speaking of the weasel, Blaze continued, I heard you're setting up to play house together, Granger. Draco began to cough. You're right, mate, Blaze asked. Fine. Draco reached for the teacup on his desk. Hermione returned to her work and leaned forward in her chair, which made a sharp and prolonged creak in protest. Why did you hear that, Sabini? Blaze sat up and swung his legs over the edge of the work table. I have my sources. I can't say I ever imagined you and Weasley beyond one of two of those shags you have with someone just to see what it's like between the two of you. Hermione pursed her lips. She was pushing down harder than she thought with her quill, and it snapped. Blast it. You're moving in with him? Draco asked. Hermione took a blade from her desk drawer and reshaped the point of her quill. He's moving into mine on a temporary basis. Anyway, what difference could it possibly make to either of you? The room behind her was silent for so long that Hermione turned around to look. Draco sat with Hermione's pie dish still in his lap. His head laid down his fork and was staring into the bottom of the pan as though he could divine his future in the crumbs. Blaze looked between Draco and Hermione. What? she asked. Neither of them said anything. Speak up! I'm all ears! Tell me exactly what's wrong with me and Ron! Draco's brow furrowed and he shook his head. Nothing. Nothing at all. Hermione started to turn back to her desk, but he continued. But don't you think... He stopped and considered his words. It's just that we're all still very young, and your goals seem quite different. Hermione felt her cheeks burn. No one asked you, Malfoy. You just did. What do you know about my goals? We've worked together for three months. Three months where we've talked of almost nothing but our hopes and dreams for this department, and by extension, ourselves, she thought. Draco's face turned stony and he sat the pie pan aside, still unfinished. You're right. I suppose I don't have the slightest idea. You have my sincerest apologies. From his seat at the work table, Blaze cleared his throat. So, are we talking literal pie here? Or was Potter all up in Granger's... Who let you in here, Blaze? And Draco cut him off, jumping down from his desk. Because it certainly wasn't me. You left the door unlocked? Blaze pointed at the pie dish on Draco's desk. Are you going to finish that? I wouldn't mind a taste. The kiss she'd laid against the corner of Draco's mouth the day of the race had been a sisterly gesture, given for luck, much good that it did. She tried to find something fraternal in the way Draco brushed his tongue against the swell of her lower lip before sucking on it. She'd never had a brother, but no, this wasn't the sort of sickbed greeting she imagined was standard procedure within families. When he drew his mouth away for a fraction of a second, she laid her palms against his chest and said, Draco! He took that as a sign of encouragement. He not only intensified his efforts at the sight of their rejoined mouths, but he also introduced the idea of his hands smoothing across her belly. She leaned as far back as she was able, breathing hard. What's my name? He disentangled at last and raised his eyebrows. Hello, he said with piqued interest. You minx, I knew you'd want to order me about. What? I need you to tell me my name. Truly, it's not Hermione. 
He said it on a lush and humid breath, his eyes wavering in their already drowsy hold on what was right in front of him. Before she could explain that she hadn't meant for him to say her name with quite that degree of sensual heat, he leaned fully over her, knocked his eyes closed, bunched the side of her chemise in his fist and swept his tongue past her still open lips. He tasted the way her purple potion smelled, like tart cherry and clandestine sugar. She tilted her head back, desperate for air around his mouth. You're awake? Mm. He seemed committed to whatever he was doing. A good morning. Good morning. Hermione gasped as his mouth left hers, and his parted lips searched over her chin and down her throat, and further to the dip at the base of her neck. My God, Hermione. He traced his lips over the length of her collarbone, hovering a fraction of a millimetre over her, applying the merest hint of a touch against the tips of the fine hairs that rose up from her skin. From there he shifted up the line of her neck again, until he reached the tender patch of skin under her ear. He placed a soft, slight lick there with the point of his tongue. Desire bordered Hermione's body like a band of pirates. Draco, she said with near hysterical urgency, you're brain damaged. His mouth paused just as it began its diminutive licking at the lowest curve of her earlobes. He lifted his head to look down at her and frowned. That's rude. No, Hermione gripped at his shoulders. Your brain is damaged. You struck your head while riding a broom. His brow knitted and he shook his head. That doesn't make any sense. I'm incredible on a broom. She pushed past him, with an admitted and absolute lack of pressure to no effect. It was a very old broom. Draco blinked as though clearing his eyes. He sat up more completely on his elbow and peered through the half-lit room. Dawn was wrapping up its opening act for the day and Draco took in the space with its velvet curtains, pastoral paintings, woven tapestries and antique furnishings. The furrow between his brows deepened. He looked down at Hermione's nightdress. What in Merlin's name are you wearing? He looked at his own. What am I wearing? Is this a dress? Hermione could only stare. It looks like a poor person's dress, from old person times. His nose wrinkled with displeasure. Am I poor? Am I old? He rolled over to his side and ran his hand down his chest and abdomen. No, I'm not. He blinked again and looked around the room with greater discernment. Are we at a renaissance, fair Granger? He looked back at her and his brow lifted. I have to say, of the many scenarios of imaginers landing in bed together, the renaissance fair was not one of them. We're not at a renaissance fair. Hermione could feel her cheeks colouring. And... Draco! He started to dip his mouth back down to her ear, and she pushed at his shoulder until he sat up again. But we didn't sleep together. He narrowed his eyes and looked down at Hermione in her chemise. We're in bed right now. He ran the tip of his finger over the delicate lace edging of her collar. You've got lace bits on, and I'm not wearing any pants. Well, yes, we've slept together. How many did you get? He shut his eyes and shook his head. No, don't answer that. My performance is far better when I'm sober. I'll show you. Ignited with fresh conviction, he brought his mouth down to her throat and sucked on it with a light pressure. Oh, God. She clamped her hand over her mouth and closed her eyes tight, trying to gain her composure. But as he worked at her skin with his lips and tongue, she heard herself whimper. 
we've slept together these last two nights. Oh, two nights, he muttered against her skin. I can accept, however grudgingly, that I've managed to black out on one occasion, but two is ridiculous. Is this nice? Merlin, help me. It is... No! That's not what I meant. We slept. We've never had sex. He continued to work his way up her neck, then placed kisses across her jaw and chin until he found her mouth again. Oh, she said, with meaning. We haven't? He asked between dip, explanatory forays, past the borders of her teeth. Do we not do this? I feel like we do this. No, we never do. Why not? Because she wants to do this with everyone. He looked taken aback. Everyone? That seems excessive. I certainly think it is. He paused in thought, then finally shrugged, and when he crashed his mouth against hers again, he shifted a hand beneath the sheets until he found the hem of her chemise. Without further ado, he smothered his palm over the side of her thigh, along her hip and bare waist, then came to rest against her ribs just below her breasts. To her horror, she arched her back and made a pettish, whining sound, which served to encourage his hands higher and make him answer with an impatient noise of his own. Draco, I'm your sister, she said, breathing hard as his mouth drew away from hers in a kind of faint, before vigorously re-engaging. She was having a hard time keeping her eyes open. As her words settled in, his hands stopped in its quest for more intimate flesh. He pulled back and regarded her. No, I don't think you are. I am. He frowned. But I want to have sex with you. He resumed kissing her, and his hand squeezed tentatively at her underside of her breast. Cressida will be here any minute, she said, trying another tact. What's a Cressida? he asked. One of the blondes. He didn't release her this time, and he shook his head without taking his mouth away from hers. I prefer spicy little brunettes. She'll be joining us any second. No, thank you. I don't want her to be a part of this. I don't like that. You have orgies every weekend. I... Oh. The money cried out softly as his hand made its move. She wanted to slam her hands back over her mouth. Orgies? He drew back yet again, incredulous. That's too much work. Too much body. I just want one body. He looked down at his own hand as it pulled appreciative at her breast. I want this one. With that, he dove back into her mouth. She turned away in an attempt to regain some sense. He reorientated himself to her ear, where he began nipping and sucking at the soft skin of her earlobe. It's because it's the one that's right in front of you, she said, panting hard. There was an awareness rolling around in the back of the odds and ends drawer in her mind that she always began pulling at his hair, was a singularly ineffective way of communicating that he ought to stop. Mm, it is, isn't it? His hand quested across her sternum to pay a visit to the opposite breast. He pinched it. Oh, God, you're a sex zombie! She was breathless and still tugging a wanton burst at the side of his hair. He looked up at her and wrinkled his nose. I don't think those words should be next to one another. Pulling out of Hermione's grip, he slid down her body, mouth first, leaving a trail of wet marks along the centre of her chemise. Merlin, I want to go down on you. Scratch that. I'm going to live down here. I'm moving in right now. 
have all my hours forwarded to between Granger's thighs. His mouth slid over the curve of her abdomen below her navel, and her entire body lit up like a Christmas tree. You smell, he mumbled hungrily. You smell. He stopped. Why can't I smell you? He pressed his face against her belly, breathed in, then did the same in the space between her hip bone and her thigh. Then he moved up and crushed his nose against her armpit. He huffed twice. What the hell, Granger? Finally, he pulled his hand out from underneath the money chemise and brought it to his forehead. God damn, my head hurts. Hermione's chest heaved. Through the haze of shock and indecency lust, she heard footsteps in the carpeted length of the hall. Malfoy, someone's coming! Before he could react, she pulled her out of his arms. She made a hard, fast military roll off the edge of the bed. When she was on the floor, she tugged her chemise back down over her waist. Simultaneously, she blessed and curled her woefully frayed knickers. No, he whined reaching out one of his long arms after her. Come back up here, you saucepot. doesn't matter what you don't have, a smell or whatever. I won't hold it against you. You're my brother, Hermione said urgently, crawling towards the chase. I don't care if you believe me or not. I don't. Hermione found her dressing gown tossed over the side of the chase and drew it around herself. All right, don't believe me, but you have to say that you are to the people who are about to walk in. Draco, please, it's terribly important. If I say I'm your brother, will you come back to bed so we can have sex? No, Hermione hissed. Absolutely not. We work together and you're a very loose man. I don't feel loose. I feel unloose. The opposite of loose. Women are all over you, Malfoy. A fair few men. It's ridiculous. You wear these trousers. Aha! Uh -huh. Draco sat up in the bed. That I do know about. He pointed at her. You like my trousers? Hermione flushed scarlet. No, I do not. And my hair. You like my hair. You love it, actually. He pulled his hand through the dishevelled two inches of hair he had sprouted overnight and frowned again. Sweet, merciful mother of... What's been done to it? You've been asleep for two. At that moment, someone knocked at the door and then opened it. Cressida carried a pot of salve in its little tray, and she rounded the edge of the door to find Draco sitting up in his bed. He leaned back and folded his hands over his lap. Hello, you must be the blonde. Cressida dropped the tray to the floor. Mr Granger! The salve went spraying in unctuous globs into the air and spattered over the back of the door. As the room took on the sharp smell of sap and citrus, Cressida rushed into action. She was by Draco's bedside in a flash, taking his pulse by hand. She looked over his monitoring spells with a keen eye and then went to the flue. Within moments, Hela Bartholomew emerged through the hearth, bag in hand, fastening the buttons of his waistcoat. Hermione grabbed her book from the chase and withdrew from the room while Bartholomew and Cressida fussed over an amused and perplexed Draco. She left the memory potion in a drawer in the bureau in her room, and tossing her book on her bed, she slipped the bottle into the pocket of her dressing gown and rushed back across the hall. Back in Draco's room, she found an unobtrusive position at the end of the chair by the window. Bartholomew shined a light from the tip of his wand into Draco's eye. Can you tell me your name? Draco lifted his brow with imperious confidence. Draco Malfoy? Bartholomew flicked a glance at Cressida, then looked over his shoulder at Hermione. 
Are you connected with that family, Miss Granger? Hermione clutched at the skirt of her chemise. Not at all. That's a bald-faced lie, Granger, said Draco. You've known me since... Is he going to be all right here, Bartholomew? Hermione interrupted, shifting further forward in her chair. Bartholomew frowned in thought. I'm going to ask you a few more questions, Draco. Can you tell me what year it is? Two thousand. In her chair, Hermione played at a desperate and rapid motion game of charades. She swiped the edge of her hand across her throat, and when Draco stopped and looked, she flashed ten fingers and then eight. Ten. Eight, said Draco. It's ten, eight. Hermione shook her head. No, that's not right. Draco's eyes narrowed while he considered her frantic gestures. Eighteen. Hermione breathed a sigh of relief and flashed four fingers. Four? Draco said. Eighteen, four? Hermione made an O with her fingers and thumb, then held up four fingers again. O, eighteen, O, four. Draco's smug smile was short-lived, replaced almost immediately with a horrified grimace. Eighteen, O, four? I don't like hearing that. Bartholomew looked grave. Can you tell me who I am? Draco looked him over. You look like someone I saw in A Complete History of Wizarding Britain, Volume 3, once. Only you were in black and white, and your moustache was much larger. Can you tell me who that is? Bartholomew indicated Hermione. And Draco smiled again, just as smug as before. That's my sister. He winked at Hermione. She likes to boss me around, but I think we ought to take turns. Good, said Bartholomew. We're going to run some spells in a moment, but I can tell you that this is an extraordinary progress. Unprecedented, even. Miss Cressida, can you help me with the runes for the brain imaging spell, please? While Bartholomew and Cressida set about working in a multi-phase spell over a large square of parchment on the table by the window, Hermione hurried to sit beside Draco on the bed. He immediately laid his hand over the upper part of her thigh. You need to take this, she whispered drawing the glass globe from her pocket and pushing it towards him. Five drops, under the tongue. Quick, please. I'm not supposed to be giving you these potions. Why such a rule, Baker Granger? As soon as it's my turn, I'm going to take you over my... No, there's no time for that. I would absolutely like us to make time for that. Hermione looked over her shoulder, then yanked the tiny cork from the bottle. Open your mouth. Draco looked warily at the bottle. What's it going to do? Just open your mouth, you wretched man! She expected more fight, but he rolled his eyes, dropped his jaw and lifted his tongue. Checking to ensure Bartholomew and Cressida were still engaged in their work, Hermione let five drops fall into Draco's mouth. It did in fact have a powerful odour of cabbage, but Draco seemed not to notice it. He clapped his mouth shut, looked speculative for a moment, then his eyes squeezed tightly closed. He laid a hand over his forehead and slumped over on his elbow. Hermione corked the bottle and secreted it away in her pocket before moving back to her chair in the corner. We're ready, Mr Granger, said Bartholomew. Mr Granger? Draco bit out. What in the blaze did you mean by... His face suddenly scrunched up even tighter as a wave of tension appeared to move through him. Draco? Hermione dug at the heels of her palm with her fingernails. I believe we can expect some continued headaches, said Bartholomew. Just as abruptly as Draco's discomfort had begun, he relaxed. 
he opened his eyes and looked around the room, first at Bartholomew and then at Cressida, and at last at Hermione. He was already pale, but a hint of colour drained immediately from his face. He looked pointedly at her body in the thin chemise, then down at his own, then back to her again. What have I done? Hermione stood. Her body throbbed at the recollection of his hand below her chemise, and then burned with the shame of her unambiguous desire. Nothing to trouble yourself over. We've all fallen off our brooms at one time or another. His eyes grew round with horror. I would never have... Of course you wouldn't. It's all right. I'm going to dress now. Hermione, I... Please, don't worry. We don't ever have to mention it again. Before he could say anything else, she passed through the door, leaving Draco in the capable hands of Cressida Longbottom. She wasn't equal to the rank of humiliation, reminding of Draco's presence for the rest of the day. She had done nothing wrong, but in putting her cold feet against Draco's side, she thrown open Pandora's box. Her body ached after him. They would return, no doubt, to the cottage once Draco was deemed well enough to be moved, but until then she couldn't take refuge in the singular loveliness of the grounds of Bogmantley Hall. The bower of the elm standing in the lawns beckoned, and she hid herself away there, leaning against the arm of the bench with her book and opened in her lap. "'May I disrupt you for just a moment, Miss Granger?' It was Roland again, sweeping away a branch with one hand. "'Please, do!' Hermione sat up on the bench. "'I shan't bother you for long.' He took a seat beside her. "'I've only stopped by to say goodbye. I leave for Devonshire presently.' Hermione leaned forward in surprise. "'Leaving? Will you come back?' I will, before you even know that I'm gone. I'm very glad to hear it. Without warning, a yawn overtook her, and she laid her hand over the book. Miss Granger, Roland began. He paused and squinted through the branches. When he looked at her again, his eyes were searching and serious. He laid his hand over hers. I'm more grateful to hear of your brother's recovery than I can say. His hand was soft. It felt exotic and unknown and entirely familiar. She turned her hand over, curled her fingers around his and pressed. Thank you. Will you return in time for the ball? Of course. Hermione suddenly recollected the book. Oh, I have something for you. She pulled her hand from his and held out the volume of entheogenetic potionery in the alchemy of the mind that had been resting in her lap. I made you a copy yesterday. I'd entirely forgotten about it until just now. "'Indeed?' Roland took the book from her and stroked his hand over the cover. "'Thank you, Miss Granger. "'I've been struggling to understand its contents, "'but I believe the meaning is there for those who can find it. "'I shall endeavour to grasp any knowledge Miss Granger deems worthy of mastery.' Hermione smiled. "'Shall we discuss your conclusions when you've returned? "'At the ball?' Roland rose from the bench and held out his hand. Hermione hesitated and laid her fingers across it. Bending low, he pressed his lips to the back of her hand. He looked up at her through his dark lashes with an expression of unreserved interest. At the ball. His lips brushed against her skin as he spoke. He dropped her hand and walked away backwards, his smile crooked and without artifice of any kind. Hermione folded her hands in a lap. You're a flirt, Mr Weasley. He laughed. That implies a lack of fastidiousness, Miss Granger. He lifted his brow. Save me the first dance? Hermione nodded. 
I shall. Till then. Till then. He bowed and turned away, whistling past the branches of the bar and into the sunlight, his book clutched in his hand. Hot and tired, Hermione returned to the hall. It was, for the moment, quiet, while the family stitched, read, and, in Sir Thomas's case, softly snored on the chaise in the drawing-room. She went upstairs, and as she passed by Draco's room, heard the low voices of Cressida and Hila Fredrickson. Hermione's heart hitched in her chest as the sound of Draco himself, his voice amiable, helpful, and without a hint of agitation. She didn't pause to listen. The windows of her own room faced north, and the space was dark, cool, and soundless. She yanked at the edge of the white lawn fichu Margaret had tucked around her shoulders that morning, and sat down hard on her bed. Reaching between her treacherous, libidinous breasts, she pulled out the leather bag, tipped the time-turner into her palm, and shifted through its parts. She set the pieces on the night-table, beside the original copy of Entheogenetic Potionary and the Alchemy of the Mind, she sighed and flopped backwards on the bed. Something tickled at the back of her memory. An ill-conceived letter. A silly girl aggrieved by the near destruction of her own virtue. A shelter of an obliging book. She sat up. Her skin prickled as she picked up the volume beside the bed and opened the front cover. The title page stared at her, plain and crisp. There was nothing whatsoever inside. 